This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Money GPS. Today, I've got an interview with uneducated economist, and we talk about inflation versus deflation. We talk about lumber. We talk about commodities, futures, ETFs. A lot was discussed here. I have the timestamps in the description as well as the comments if you're interested in checking that out. But I recommend watching the whole thing if you have time. Let's get into it right away. Okay, so thank you very much for being on today. I wanted to talk about several topics here. I wanted to get into inflation and deflation. We're going to look at lumber, so many other topics. And I just wanted to thank you for being on today. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, you've got an excellent YouTube channel. You've got a lot of content being posted very regularly. And I just wanted to highlight the fact that I think it's important that people listen to differing views all the time. We can't simply just look at one aspect and think this is the be all and end all. And that's really what I wanted to bring you on today to talk about, because I know there's the inflation deflation debate. There's a lot of people that are simply in one camp and stick to it. And that's it. And so, you know, that really takes me to my first question, inflation versus deflation. Where do you see it? And specifically, you know, how this relates to what we are seeing today and what we could see in the future. Yeah, you know, it's really hard to uh, to uh, try and fight that deflationary uh, scenario when you hear so much about uh, about inflation taking place. Now, everybody out there, they have this inflation, inflation, inflation is starting to come in and I have a feeling that it's going to be more about a deflationary scenario after this inflationary push. Um, and it's kind of, like I said, it's really hard to try and kind of wrap your head around that. Everywhere you look, you're seeing the prices going up, especially if you look in places like, you know, lumber and commodities, copper, stuff like that. These things are really just kind of, you know, screaming higher. And when I think about how it is that the Federal Reserve has injected this money into the system, I have a tendency to believe that once all this stimulus is run out, we are going into a deflationary spiral. And that's my honest belief behind it. Interesting. So um, now something that, you know, I've thought a lot about is that you've got the quantitative easing side, and then you've also got the, let's say what the government is doing with the stimulus. And I'm wondering if there's going to be a time when we move not necessarily away from the quantitative easing, but we start doing the helicopter money and people start getting these massive stimulus checks into their bank on a regular basis so that people are literally going out and spending all this money and they are actively trying to create the maximum amount of inflation. So there's like the two sides of it. And that's something that I've really debated with uh, myself, especially over the last while. Because if they pump money in with the quantitative easing, that could, of course, drop the monetary velocity. But then on the other side, you've got stimulus programs and what they are talking about with the MMT, bringing that in and putting that money into people's accounts. 
And I, and I wonder, I, I question what will happen. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Like the two, sort of the two sides of this? Well, yeah, absolutely. Now the MM, like, you know, the modern monetary theory and the UBI scenario, the only way that can really be effective is if the Federal Reserve started injecting that money directly in. Now you think about it, the way they're doing it now is with the treasury purchases. Like, you know, the treasury actually has to be like, you know, stimulating the economy. If the Federal Reserve took that role, like they were actually printing that money and then injecting that directly into the wallets of the people. Yeah, we would be seeing some serious inflation from something like that. But instead, it's not going that route. It, it runs through the debt system. So it's actually loaned into the existence. Now, that loaning into the existence, it's going toward consumerism. Like it's not going towards a productive capacity where it's going to pay back the loan plus interest. It's going to go and it's going to consume a bunch of stuff. Well, at the end of the consumption, you still have the debt to pay. So then you have to postpone your current consumption to pay for the past spending that you've done. That's the deflationary event that's going to come afterwards so the what the treasury and the fed are going to have to do in combination is try and inject that money like you're saying with the helicopter money but they don't really have a system that's going to do that correctly you know um they have to do like you know the treasury stimulus like the stimulus packages you know and so it would have to be like these two working together and that's going to be politically unfriendly when you have that much debt being taken out by the treasury so again it goes back to the role of the Federal Reserve, and they don't really have the laws that allow them to do that yet. So I don't see it happen. Could that change? Can Congress change that? Yeah, absolutely. And if they do, then yeah, look out. But at this point, I don't, I don't see that happening as of yet. Interesting. You know, I think we should spend a minute here to define inflation specifically. How do you define inflation? Because if you look at the sort of the Austrian economic side, they define it as the expansion of the monetary supply. But if we're looking at inflation as it relates to, you know, what the mainstream media covers, that would be more like price inflation. So do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. And that's, and that is really, cause I look at it more on the Austrian side of things like the, you know, inflation is the expansion of money and credit. It already has happened. You know, the idea that, you know, there's going to be inflation in the future is not really an argument. The inflation is already here. It's already occurred. What we're waiting for or what we're trying to see is the price inflation like the Federal Reserve wants to see it. They want to see the price increases. That's the result of inflation. So like the idea of like whether or not we're going to have inflation, that's not like even an argument. anymore. You know, I mean, that's like it's already here. We're waiting for the prices. We need to see it come up in the prices. And mainly I'm looking for it in wages and gold. Those are like the two that I'm still waiting on seeing. Like everybody else can point at these different commodities, but like I have a reason to see. I mean, I don't think it's a good reason as far as like seeing the prices as high as they are, but I understand the reasonings why lumber has achieved the level that it has. And I don't see it as a destruction of the dollar. I see it as a supply constraint. So that's where I see the difference between like what a lot of people are considering inflation and what I consider inflation. I'm just looking for like the destruction of the dollar kind of thing. And I would see that in wages and gold. And I'm not quite seeing it quite the way that I would like to see inflation or what I would expect to see in inflation. Got you. Um, now, obviously, we've got to talk about lumber here a little bit more specifically. Over, the, over this last, let's say, year or so, you know, from your point of view, what have you been seeing? I mean, obviously, we're looking at prices rising. But, you know, when I go back to the charts, I've never really seen anything like this before in such a dramatic spike if you could give yeah. your insight, that, that you know, I would appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. Um, 
You know, this is this is an interesting. I don't think we can go back a year. I think we have to go back a couple of years in order to really understand what's happened here in, this, in the lumber industry. Because I've been working lumber since I was 18 years old. Since 1995, I got my first job at a hardware store working, you know, retail lumber. And I've been either in the construction game, like doing construction or, you know, selling building supplies pretty much my entire life. And I have never seen anything quite like what we have experienced over the last couple of years. Now, in order to really truly understand this, we have to take it back to like, um, I would say probably somewhere around 2017, 2018, when the prices really were spiking up for the first time, they ran up to 650 per thousand. When that happened, that was like the first time that it had ever achieved a level over 500 per thousand. And everybody was like, my gosh, this is huge. Well, I remember walking through my lumber yard, the place that I work, and it was just full of Canadian lumber. Like every single unit was from Canada. Well, I didn't think much about it. I knew that, you know, that that's a major export, you know, from Canada coming into the United States. We're up in the Pacific Northwest. So it kind of made sense that we would have a lot of Canadian lumber. Well, then I started reading articles about how these Canadian lumber mills were starting to shut down, especially in the BC area. They started curtailing development. Now, I'm just going to try and shorten it up real quick. But what ended up happening was, is that British Columbia had gone into something called salvage mode and they had fires and bug infestations and they needed to cut these trees before they rotted. Right. So instead of just wasting the trees, they cut them, milled them, sent them down to the United States. When that salvage mode ended, that was pretty much it for the British Columbia area. And they there had mills up there that really suffered from this uh, increase in the stumpage fees, which is what they charged the loggers to cut the trees. Essentially, So the logs became very expensive and the lumber was hard to get coming out of the British Columbia area. Now, that was at the end of 2019. This is before COVID, before any of that other stuff, there was issues taking place up in that British Columbia area. Then COVID hit and the mills started shutting down and the whole inventory depletion started taking place. So the whole pipeline just completely like just broke down to almost nothing. There was hardly any material in the system. British Columbia, that chain of material coming out of that area, coming into the United States had shifted and went down to the Southern part of the United States. So now here we are, we're trying to fill this pipeline back up again with lumber, trying to get the steady flow of material that once had a continuous flow coming out of British Columbia has now moved down to the southern part of the United States. And we have trucking issues and rail issues. And there's a whole lot of like, like not getting this material flowing through the system properly. So now it's really clunky, like particular areas might get a whole bunch of lumber and people are like, man, look at all the stacks of lumber everywhere while a whole another section of the country sits dry. And this is like creating this, you know, demand for this material to go up to any price. Because if you're a builder building a home, you're going to pay any price to get your material so that you can get that construction done. And if one builder is willing to pay, the rest of them are going to have to suffer with that price as well. Yeah. And it's not just one builder, one builder. You know what I mean? It's like if the of course if there's a section of builders that are doing it. Of course. So that that really uh, was one of the points I wanted to talk about was how this really differed from the previous years. So, you know, there's always going to be shortages. There's always going to be supply chain issues that happen. We had the tariffs uh, going on uh, just just prior to that, and that affected many different products. And and it was a it was a big issue for, uh, you know, many industries. 
but certainly right now today, we've never really uh, seen such a spike in the prices all at the same time. And I think that's kind of what has generated a lot of the fear at this point. And, you know, regardless, I think that people should be um, essentially keeping an eye on where they've got their investments and not necessarily uh, going pedal to the metal on all of this because there's there is a risk whether that risk is on the inflationary side whether it's on the deflationary side i think it's important people be aware of that and not necessarily overextend themselves in either direction because i know that there's some people who are just 100 percent uh you know high growth high margin type of stock investor and then you've got other people who are just sitting and waiting for a period of time that may or may not happen. So that's sort of a concern that I always think about as like as an investor and what people can do, uh, practical advice and so on. Um, you know, what the next question I had was, what can we learn specifically from this price search? Is there any lesson that can be learned? Like, um, this can absolutely happen a year from now or any, anything that you think that we should be learning from this? Well, something that I guess if there was anything that I have learned from watching the events take place is that is that it's not everything is seems to be what the way it is. Like, I guess, for example, and I talked about this a little bit before in one of my other videos is that last year, when I was selling lumber, I had a heck of a time trying to source out particular uh, particular units of lumber. And mainly it was pressure treated four by four. This is like the main component to getting a deck built, for fences, for everything. So there was a huge demand surge when everybody got locked down and had a stimulus check. They ran down to the lumber yard and started buying all this material to make their outdoor living a little bit better space. And they pretty much zapped the inventory levels at the same time. There was a depletion coming from you know, an inventory drop coming from the, from the mills. So if anything that I have learned from it is that at the time when there was no supply, the, the prices really hadn't surged. I mean, they ticked up a bit, but they weren't like off the charts. This year, I have four by fours. I have everything I need in the yard. I mean, sometimes it's hard to source out like a particular unit. Um, like the other day, I tried to get a unit of two by six, 10 standard and better. And I couldn't find one anywhere in the Portland area. Now, next week, I'll probably be there, but this week it wasn't. But the rest of the stuff, I, I have it. But the prices are off the charts. So the, I see this lag kind of happening, you know, from like the availability to where the price goes. And I thought that was kind of interesting, something I had never seen before. So I'm learning like a lot about like where prices are to the supply and demand at the time that they are. I mean, it just it, it doesn't seem to like necessarily coincide perfectly with each other. You know, right. being last year with four by fours completely gone, you would think that the prices would be off the charts. This year, I got the four by fours and the prices are off the charts. So, you know. I really think that a lot of what we see with the prices, whether it's gold, whether it's commodities, doesn't matter. I really think that a lot of that has to do with the speculation that goes on in the markets and that they push these prices up, they push them down, whatever it might be. And, you know, I really get the sense of that over the years. You've seen, I, I know you've seen it. There are so many instances where people get caught manipulating the price of precious metals. And then what happens? They just give a slap on the wrist to that trader at that particular company. Oh, that's it. Problem solved, right? But we know it's really not. We know that they are modifying and manipulating the different prices to suit their own needs. And of course, 
This could be happening again today. They see the surge up, so everybody's getting in buying the lumber futures and so on. Uh, If you have any thoughts about that? Well, absolutely I do. In fact, I thought this was something that I was suspecting has taken place is that with all the story of all the sto- of all the shortages taking place across the nation that there was speculation starting to take place inside of the lumber futures and watching it run up to 1700 per thousand while at the same time I'm sitting on lumber that's selling for a retailing at you know nine dollars and the reach in the future prices starting to exceed what I'm selling the retail for I'm like no nah, this isn't right there's something wrong here because ultimately I mean Obviously, it, you know, it's, it, you can't go down and like buy all this retail lumber, build 110,000 Ford feet and sell a futures contract. But ultimately, that's like what you could have done. You could have gone down to the retail stores, put together 110,000 Ford feet of lumber, and it would have been cheaper than buying a futures contract. And that just seemed completely out of line. That doesn't seem right at all. Now, I kind of wondered if like coming into this particular week, because this is the week that this May contract ends is um, today, actually. I think it was tomorrow at the 15th, I think is what it's scheduled for. But anyway, it's supposed to end today. Well, I looked at the contract or looked at the future price before we started this. It dropped 90 per thousand. Now, that's the biggest one day drop I think I've ever seen in lumber. And it closes today. And it was dropping, well, not yesterday, but the day before and the day before that. So it leads me to believe that there was some speculation taking place in this market. Those guys were trying to get out of those contracts. So I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out again next month when that one opens up and we'll see where the prices go. But I have a feeling that we're going to start seeing the lumber prices dropping from here. I think 1700 was just far out of line. $12 for a two by four stud is just unrealistic. It doesn't need to be there and things that can't go on forever. won't. Good points. Um, now in terms of if somebody wanted to, if you have any, any input, um, if somebody wants to invest in something like lumber or like, uh, any commodity, would you suggest, and, uh, you know, you let me know what you think, but would, would somebody get into the futures? Do you think that's the right thing to do? Do you think they should buy the physical? Do you think that they should, uh, get into ETFs? at all do you think this is something that people should be looking at as an investment or people should not be doing that and, and simply stick to the stocks and precious metals and so on um so i'm going to tell you i am not much for investment i am not a very good investor i try to save my money um i try to put it in things that i see have little downside risk so that's what i kind of really do with my money i know that some people have used my information to make money in the whether it's the futures that they were playing or something but i had and i kid you not i had a guy who claimed to be from a hedge fund he says hey man i really appreciate all the lumber insight i made a bunch of money off of one of the trades just off of solely off of your information and i just wanted to thank you i emailed him back saying hey man right on i'm glad you were able to do that i have no idea how to make money inside of the market so i'm glad somebody was able to use that information for good a couple of minutes later he tipped me on paypal a couple hundred bucks says there's your commission bro and i went whoa right on you know and i was just like i didn't even know how to do like make money with this you know but yeah he was able to use my information for it 
I know that that lumber, especially the futures, is a very, very illiquid market. Getting in and out of that thing is not something that is very easy to do. So if you're like a speculator in this market who's not prepared to deal with that contract at the closing of that contract, I, I wouldn't even begin to think about, you know, playing with that that sure. side of things. However, there are some ETFs that I guess would probably be a good trade that you could get into um, that kind of track global forestry products that, you know, might not, you know, have been a bad play to get into a while ago, but I don't think right now would be the way that you would want to get in unless you want to try and short that somehow. But then again, there's still like, I ran out of two by six tens the other day and I couldn't get a unit. So there's still, there's still supply chain issues. There's still shortage. And when there's that shortage in there, there are people out there who are willing to pay at any price. So I don't know. I, I really don't know where to go with that. Gotcha. Now, before we talk about your YouTube channel specifically, um, I just wanted to know if you have any particular tips at all uh, as it relates to lumber, as it relates to commodities and so on. Do you have any insight for my viewers? I know a lot of our, we share a lot of the same viewers, but uh, for anybody, you know, do you have any, any tips that you think you could provide to them? Um, you know, I guess if you, if you are a builder, or you are looking at somebody who's going to do the project. And, you know, as far as the things that I have seen, you're looking to try and get that best deal or the best prices on, on the markets for it. Lumber futures, the price between where that changes and by the time it hits the retail, it, there's a lag behind that by quite a bit. And depending on how much material the lumber yards are moving at the time will depend on how far out that lag changes so when you're looking to think i'm going to try and nail the pricing just perfect if you see the futures price drop today well it's going to be sometime in the future out there before you see the retail dropping so even though like it doesn't seem like realistic to try like you want to get the best deal well the best deal is when it doesn't seem like it's the best deal, you know, and that's when you have to start your project because by the time you get to purchasing it, it's also going to be down the road. That nailing of the timing is very difficult. So that's what I would say is like, watch how much inventory is moving at your lumber yard. That'll determine how quickly the price to the futures is going to be once it gets to the retail. I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm saying it, but that's what I would do. Like if, you're re if your lumber yard is just like, you know, you go down there and you still see the same unit of studs that's been sitting there for a week, you know they're not ripping through their inventory and that that price reflection isn't going to happen for a while. But if you go down there and they're like, no, they're pumping out lumber every day, well, they're going to be a lot closer to that futures price when the price drops. You know? Nice. Okay. Do you have any sort of final input on maybe inflation, deflation, or, uh, you know, what you see going on right now in, the, you know, the whole economy in general? I'm just interested in your thoughts. Want to know what you think? Um, I think the, I think what's happening right now, at least from the experience that I've had talking with some of the other business owners and stuff around town, is that people are not so eager to go back to work they want to finish out that stimulus they want to finish out their unemployment they want to enjoy not working for a while before they go back to to being employed and i have a feeling that that in itself is going to put them in a situation in which that by the time the money runs out the jobs won't be there any longer because i kind of explained it in a video that i did yesterday that once these 
like restaurants, like I know a few restaurants in town that are having issues as far as getting staffing to them. And I know what everybody's going to say, well, if the restaurants paid more then you know, they would go back to work. So we take that into consideration. The restaurant starts paying the employees more, which in turn is the cost push inflation. If, you know, land materials, labor goes up and so does the end product. So now all of a sudden the burgers and pizzas and everything that everybody's selling has gone up in price, which is cool while the stimulus is running through the system. But once the stimulus is gone and that free money, which free money, you know, free money is gone. People aren't so willing to go and work to buy that expensive burgers anymore, the expensive pizzas, and this will have that deflationary impact. So that's where I'm kind of like thinking that by the time the stimulus runs out, the jobs won't be there any longer and all these help wanted signs will be taken down. I've been really pondering this for a while. You know, I look at what we're seeing with the push for MMT, the push for more and more stimulus, never ending stimulus checks. And I just wonder with so much debt, with such terrible deficits, with interest rates already being at rock bottom, you know, where, what more can they really do? And that's, of course, where I start looking at that deflationary side of things. And the the response, of course, historically, has always been to destroy the currency. They always try to inflate that currency as much as possible. So I always look at both sides and I just wonder, you know, how far are they willing to go? I didn't think that they would print this much money. I didn't think that they would do this much stimulus. Like, look at the situation with Canada. You know, if you're unemployed, you're getting $2,000 a month every single month. It's not just one stimulus check, one round of it. It's some seriously heavy duty cash being thrown out there. And you look at what's happening with the housing prices. Everybody is buying homes right now. Small sliver of land, you know, maybe 20 feet wide in a nice area. I'm not talking about the, the fancy areas, but a nice area is going for, this is Canadian dollar, let's say 1.5 million and up for a 20 foot wide lot. And, you know, this is a, not even a lot of the, a lot of that is a semi-detached or a duplex home. So this is unbelievable to see hundred year old homes, 20 foot sliver of land, and the prices are just rising like crazy. It's obviously a bubble. There's no reason why this should be up in these territories, but here we are. So I'm just interested to see it. I just document it. As you know, uh, I just bring to you, you know, the facts of what I see and, you know, we can, we can obviously speculate, but uh, only time will tell. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. there will be a time, I mean, there will be a time where there will be continuous injections of money. I mean, it, it's going to happen. It's just like, the timeline for that, I just don't think we're going to step right into this, you know, continue injection right. of money. I think that things will, you know, the stimulus will dissipate. There will be some downtime. There will come an event that will force the, you know, the government to react. And then that's when they'll be able to introduce this MMT stuff. Now, you know, like I said, they already have like an idea of how they're going to do all this. I mean, they, you know, they're going to use the the central bank digital currencies. They'll, they'll use like, I mean, I've, I've read documents from the federal reserve and the treasury talking about how they plan on using these special bonds, like these special bonds that sit on like idle waiting for an event to take place that the treasury can then automatically buy and inject the money right into the people's wallets. You know, so these treasury bonds, they're not like the treasury even has to do anything. It's just a triggering event, like the economy hits a particular level and all of a sudden these treasuries are, are there for the, uh, for the Fed to buy, it just magically happens to, to come about. But they were already sitting and in, in waiting for this particular event to happen. 
So, you know, stuff like that. I mean, nobody sees that coming. Nobody knows about those things. I mean, because it's not like something that's outwardly talked about or even documented. I mean, this was something that was brought up in a, like a blog or something, you know, from the IMF or whatever, you know, that I was reading. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting way to go about it because these things don't exist yet. Right. You know, it's just the idea, right? Yeah. They're, they're definitely going to go into every new territory to try and manipulate and, and do things. I believe they manipulate on the way up and the way down and, you know, Absolutely. like I said, I mean, nobody saw those special purpose vehicles and stuff like that during the financial crisis. I mean, nobody right. anticipated all that stuff. I mean, of course. they knew about it. They knew they were going to do it. And somebody out there, I mean, there was people who knew about it, but not like, you know, us who are just, you know, kind of reading the news and stuff like that. That's those right. special purpose vehicles popped up and everybody's like, look at that. <laughs> you know? They found the way right around the, right around their right around their their the things that keep them where they are which is already too much as it is but um so one last thing you know i just want to mention the fact that uh your youtube channel the way that you've created your content it's in your car it's you know not necessarily a high you know a hollywood budget type of scenario and yet you've had so much (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you've got you've got uh so much success so far and i think that's amazing and really what i wanted to highlight for people is that if you have a message if you have information you can share that and you could actually provide value to the community now whether that's going to be 100 subscribers or 60,000 subscribers or 250 and so on if you have something of value you should be sharing it okay like when i first did my videos and i'm sure same situation with you nobody was watching I was the only one watching. I was going through my own video and seeing, you know, what did I do? And this is now 10 years that I've been doing this. And, you know, to me, it, you know, I'm going to be making videos regardless of whether people are watching or not. I'm glad that so many people are watching, but, you know, I just wanted, if you could give people the message, uh, what you think maybe with your own success that you've had, but just the message of that we should be sharing and we should be giving what we can, because as you see somebody right here who has insight on a topic can then provide value to so many others out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because I try to encourage as many people as I know, everybody says, man, I love your YouTube channel. I'm like, yeah, you should start your own. Like I try to like pick up your hobby, whatever it is that you're doing and just start talking about it, putting videos out there about it. Like, even if it's just your day, there's like walking down the river walk here, talk about something and, and post it on and post it on YouTube. You know, when I started this thing, I never expected it to go anywhere. I never did. I mean, I, if you knew me personally, I never stopped talking. Like, I don't know if it's an obsessive compulsive thing that I got going or whatever, but like literally people at times are like, dude, okay, you're gonna have to stop. All right. You know? And so like they said, you got to start up, you got to start a blog, you got to start, you know, a channel or something. And so I did, I went down one day, I grabbed my phone, I went down to my car and I just blah, blah, blah. This is the uneducated economist. And I posted it. Never thought in a million years that anything would ever come from it. But the next day, you know, I think I did another video. A couple of days later, I did another video. Nobody watched them. Nobody at all. Zero views, you know, and I did that for a while. And I think like my mom and my wife would watch, you know, to try and give me a little bit of encouragement on it. But I got to thinking to myself, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to do this. If nothing else, I'll just do it for my own, like, like just journal, you know, just so I kind of remember the things that I was talking about and, and thinking about as far as the, the economy goes. 
well, you know, YouTube's out there and it's able to go to anybody. And, you know, I started catching a few views and, you know, a couple of people started encouraging me. They're like, man, don't stop what you're doing. Just keep doing, doing this. And I was in my car just because it was quiet. Like, well, not today because of the guy mowing his lawn, but, um, you know, I was in my car because it was, it was a quiet place to be. And it was easy to, to like, kind of get away from like the noise of the house and the car, you know, the, the dog and, you know, everything else. So I didn't get in my car thinking like, this is going to be my studio. I'm going to make my studio here and this is where I'm going to do it. It just happened to land in the car. And as far as everything that I was doing on it, I was just trying to follow basically what the people were asking me to do. And that was just keep doing your opinions. Just, you know, get out there, do the research, think about it in a, you know, in a way that, you know, people can have a conversation about it. So I just kept doing that. And I found these complex topics out there that no way anybody was ever going to have ever have a conversation about. And I thought about them for the day and I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I spit this out in five minutes so that everybody can understand it and talk about it? And I realized that, man, that's a talent in itself just to be able to do that. So I just kept pushing that, that idea out there. I would take these complex ideas and break them down in a way that everybody can understand it. And that was my niche. You know, I had this lumber, I had that little bit of macroeconomics view that I could use and I just kept rolling with it. But the point being is, is that I didn't use anything more than a cell phone and, and the internet for information and anybody like it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at anybody could have done this now I guess I do have kind of a gift to just keep kind of talking and not stop so that does help for being able to like you know have videos that I don't have to edit and stuff like that which you know works out really well but ultimately if I wanted to do this on fishing or anything out there I mean any hobby you got you could just do these videos and try and attract the crowd and, you know, have a conversation about it. I encourage everybody to have a YouTube channel. I mean, these YouTube is the greatest thing ever. Great. Excellent. I appreciate that. You know, uh, like, like he was just saying, everybody listening, share what you've got, whether it is on this platform, whether it's maybe in a podcast form, a blog form, anywhere, we need to be sharing what we've got and not necessarily worry about the views. He wasn't concerned about the views, but he still pushed on. Same thing with me. It's all about, you know, trying to organize your thoughts as an investor that helps as well. Simply by stating what you believe in, then you start to make sense of it or you realize, no, wait, there's a hole there. There's a hole in there. And I need to, I need to search that more. I need to study that more and so on. So anyway, I want to, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I know all my viewers uh, really appreciated you being on, on behalf of them. I thank you as well. Where can we find you? Um, you know, of course your channel, but anywhere else, uh, if people want to contact you or see what you've got. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to cover all the social medias. Um, if you type uneducated economist into the Google, you're going to find it all. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those other places. But um, ultimately, I'm active on YouTube. I'm active in the comment section. That's where I'm at. Um, but I do have all the uh, all the social medias out there. If you want to send me an email, uneducatedeconomist at gmail.com. Um, I get a lot of emails, so I try to respond to everybody. But, you know, there is some that do slip through the cracks there. So I do apologize for, you know, if I don't get, uh, you know, back to you guys, just send me another one. I'll try to respond to that one. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I'm active on, on, you know, YouTube in the comments section, you know, I put out the question out there. And, you know, we try to have a conversation. And it's, it's awesome. I love my channel. Perfect. Thank you very much again. And uh, take care. Have a good one. You too, David. Thank you very much.